order the uh, October 19, 2023 meeting of the Federated City Employees Retirement System and Healthcare Trust. Uh, I'll take the roll. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings. Vice Chair Jennings. Yep. Uh, Trustee Abbott. Uh, Trustee Avasti. Here. Trustee Chandra. Here. Trustee Faulkner. Here. Trustee Linder. Here. Okay. I believe we have quorum. Um, do we, okay, we don't need to qualify anybody who's. Uh, Just to let you know the backup room is muted. I mean, I can't hear anything. Oh. oh Julie, yeah. Julie is here? Yeah. Sounds like it. Okay. She's good to hear that. She's here. <laughs> All so right. If anybody's speaking, I can't hear it. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I am there. Okay. Staff is going to. Staff, can you hear anybody? Yeah, I just. Julie. I, I can hear you. I can. Yeah. No. I think that the. Oh, oh there we go. There's the AD tech. Now we can run. Hi, guys. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings, are you with us? I am with you. All right, thank All you. Right. We're going to mark you present. Yeah. Uh, so we couldn't hear you. You guys are muted. Can uh, you hear us now? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you now, and okay. I can see you now. Before, I couldn't see you either. Oh, Neither great. Okay. Um, Vice Chair Jennings, I'm going to qualify you under the tra traditional Brown Act teleconferencing rules. Um, can you please tell me the address from where you're teleconferencing from, please? 855 East Hilton Drive, Boulder Creek, California. And is the location from where you're teleconferencing ADA accessible and open to the public? Yes. And if a member of the public would like to be heard from your location by the board, uh, would that be possible? Yes. And have you posted the agenda at the location from where you're teleconferencing from to, uh, for the public? Yes. And it can be seen? Yes. Thank you. Okay, uh, since this is a hybrid meeting, all votes will be roll call votes. Um, do, we, uh, do we need to waive sunshine on any items? No. Mm, nope, okay. Uh, and uh, at this time, we will take uh, public comment, or should I do the consent calendar first? Uh, is there any items that someone would like to pull from the consent uh, calendar? or any other items on a, we wish to rearrange from the agenda? Mr. Chair, um, I believe that you indicated you wanted to take the discussion on the compensation for the CIO earlier than stated in the, yes. In the agenda? Yes, that's item 5H. I would like to take that. Um, Can we take that uh, uh, at immediately under new business um, before 5A? I think we'll be. So right after. Uh, right after uh, investments and yeah. old business, of which there is none. So 5H and then 5A. Any other suggested changes to the agenda? Uh, uh, do we have a motion then to uh, accept the modified consent calendar? 
so sorry, moved. sorry, sorry. That's the orders of the day. I'm sorry, orders of the day. Okay. Uh, do we have a motion to accept the modified orders of the day? So moved. Okay, we have a motion by uh, Trustee Linder. Second? Second. Second from Trustee Chandra. Any discussion? Uh, we'll have a roll call vote. Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Uh, Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye. Um, okay, at this time then I will take the public comment. If there are any members of the public who wish to address the board on any matter under our jurisdiction, um, on an item that is not otherwise covered by the agenda, you may uh, speak now and you will have three minutes, either anyone present or online. Do we have anybody online who wishes to speak? Okay, hearing none, we'll move to the consent calendar. Um, do we have a motion to accept the consent calendar? So moved, Mr. Chair. Uh, motion by Trustee Linda. Uh, any uh, second? And that's a second by Trustee Abbott. Any discussion? We'll vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye as well. Consent calendar is approved. We will now move to, I believe the next item is closed session. And we have three items under closed session.
council report out on items A and B? There are no reportable actions for items A and B, though I do comment on item uh, 2A that the board has not changed its position with regards to its motion that it made at the previous meeting with on the CEO compensation. And um, I also note for the record that Harvey Lederman and myself uh, recused ourselves from item 2C, which is a performance evaluation of the CEO and of council. And conflicts council, Russ Ricada was with the board during that closed session item. Good, thank you. And I will report out on item 2C, and that is that the uh, uh, board approved uh, uh, retroactively that uh, uh, we split the $25,000 fee for an investigator with police and fire. Also that we split a $10,000 fee with police and fire to hire outside counsel and that, outs and that that outside counsel be Wes Ricada. Uh, we additionally approved a possible uh, additional funding for the investigation if required and if approved by police and fire of an additional 25,000. And finally, uh, uh, reiterating that the chair will be the, uh, the point person and interlocutor for the investigation moving forward to deal with any issues that uh, arise between board meetings. Okay, so with that, I think we if, move. If I may, Chair Horowitz. Uh, please, who's that? Uh, Russ oh, Ricada. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, please go ahead, Russ. Um, I, I believe uh, that an additional uh, uh, action taken by the board in closed session was to ratify the contract with Burke Williams. Uh, correct, and we have uh, uh, approved uh, Burke Williams to be uh, the investigator, and this is in response to the mayor's letter uh, to to the boards dated September 15th. Okay. Uh, I believe the next item is uh, item number two, death and survivorship. So we'll have a moment of silence for those who have served the city and who have passed. Thank you. Item number three, oral update, uh, 3A, oral update from the CIO. Uh, Mr. Polani, are you with us? Yes, I am, Mr. Chairman. Hope you can hear me. Yeah. Yes, we can. Yes, it's great. Thank you. Good morning, trustees. Um, this month, actually, we have no agenda items under the investment section. Uh, but I did want to let the board know that I will be appearing before City Council on November 14th uh, to present the comprehensive uh, expense report that I presented to the board but last you're month. you're cutting in and out. Uh, this you might want to turn off your something that we video. do every fall. It's hard to uh, hear you. With that, uh, yeah, Mr. Polani, your 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 audio was a bit uh, garbled, but I believe I heard you say that on November fourteenth. Better now. Go ahead. Yes, that that's correct, 
No, not really. On November 14th, I will be presenting the comprehensive expense report. November 14th, you'll be presenting the comprehensive expense report before City Council. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. That is correct, yes. All right. Um, are there any questions from trustees for Mr. Polani? Any questions from the public? All right, thank you, Mr. Polani. Hearing none, we'll move forward to item four, old business, of which there is none. And then we move forward to item five, and we agree to take item 5H next. And uh, that is compensation for the CIO. And I believe our IC chair would uh, like to uh, present on that matter. Thank you, Chair Horowitz. Um, uh, our sister plan, police and fire, at their last board meeting approved a 6% merit raise for the CIO and five executive days. Um, so what is before us is the decision whether to um, agree or offer an alternative for the merit comp and for the executive days for uh, last year's performance, CIO performance. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'm comfortable with the recommendation from police and fire, um, but I'd like to open it up to the fellow trustees to see if they have any thoughts or comments. Are there any uh, comments from trustees? I'll simply point out we had a comprehensive discussion on this issue in closed session, and uh, I'll move that we uh, accept the proposal to have a merit increase of 6% and 5 uh, management days? Ex yes, executive, executive days. days. Um, I'll second that, Mr. Chair. So we have a, a first and a second. Second was uh, Trustee Linder. Is there any further discussion from trustees? Any discussion from the public? Hearing none, we will vote. Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? No. Uh, Trustee uh, uh, Faulkner? Uh, abstain. Okay, Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Linder? Yes. Aye. And I vote aye as well. Okay, the motion passes. Um, moving forward now to item 5A, oral update from the CEO, uh, Mr. Pena. Yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, so let me start by actually introducing uh, to you our new executive assistant, uh, Cynthia Ayala. Uh, uh, Cynthia actually joined us uh, a few weeks ago in, in, uh, in time for the police and fire board meeting. Um, she come to us with uh, the last nine months or so working uh, with HR on a specific project. Uh, we had a very competitive process and we also received outstanding recommendations from HR staff on Cynthia. We are very excited to have her on board and I wanted to make sure that you had a chance to say hello uh, to Cynthia. So Cynthia, welcome to the Office of Retirement Services and working with the boards. Um, in closing, before she worked with, she worked with HR, she had many years working in the private industry and the last few of those years, uh, close to 10 years, she worked as an executive assistant for uh, quite a few years in Yahoo as well. So we are very excited to have Cynthia, and again, welcome Cynthia, look forward to working with you. Um, 
in addition to that, uh, obviously, uh, November 1st is coming up, which is the month for the uh, open enrollment for healthcare for the retirees. Open enrollment packets uh, are scheduled to be mailed out sometime next week. The timeline for the open enrollment goes from November 1st to November 30th in anticipation for the new calendar year on January 1st. There is a retiree health fair uh, that uh, is put together uh, with various vendors. Uh, that will be November 8th, 2023 from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at the Leninen Center here in San Jose. But in addition to that, we do have uh, website meetings and the ability for members to reach out to the vendors uh, online. I also wanted to share with you that uh, office staff did make a presentation to the San Jose retirees employees on October 12th related to uh, healthcare. They had about 75 attendees and I understand uh, it went uh, very well. Um, a couple of more things. We have two new uh, staff joining the office. We just uh, recently completed a benefit analyst recruitment and uh, staff, um, the member will start working with us in early November. By November meeting, I will have name and information on the, on the new staff that will be joining us on the benefit analyst position. And we also had Jani Hernandez uh, working with us as an, uh, a senior office specialist. She actually was doing that work previously on a temporary role, but now she's actually working with us just starting October 2nd. Um, I also wanted to let you know we issue an RFP for insurance, bro insurance broker services. It actually closed September 29th. Uh, we didn't uh, receive any bids. Um, but on, uh, upon further investigation, uh, because of the costs associated with the services is less than 140,000, we actually can, uh, instead of issue an RFP, we can issue a, an RFQ, which is a request for quotes, and staff is working diligently with the purchasing department at the city so that we can determine three mm -hmm. vendors that we can send the RFQ to, and we're hoping to receive bids uh, in the next month. I will keep you posted and I have an update for you at the next meeting. Uh, at the last audit committee on September 21st, the city auditor actually attended the meeting and spoke to the joint committee on their work associated with the audit that they're performing of the office. Um, that work is actually uh, split in different phases. Phase one is completed. Uh, there was a report that was issued by the city auditor. He will be presenting the report to the city council at the October 24th meeting. Uh, but just wanted to let you know that mm. auditor's report actually, um, we sent an email to him uh, with a link, with all information. I believe he sent the report to all of you. The, he received your email, email address. In addition, that report also is part of the joint audit committee for this afternoon, so it's there in case there are any questions. And lastly, I wanted to let you know the Retirement Connection, the, our quarterly newsletter. Um, the fall edition was actually just issued last month, and the office will be closed uh, in November, November 10th for Veterans Day, and November 23rd and 24th for the Thanksgiving holiday. And November 1st, we are going to have our quarterly staff meeting 
in person with the staff uh, to go over uh, the latest issues, new staff, what's been happening, and just keep <laughs> the staff apprised after the business, the retirement office, and the boards. That, Mr. Chair, concludes my comments. Happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Yes, actually, I have a question. Um, what was that date where you're going to meet with the staff? November 1st. Okay, thank you. Uh, the insurance contract that had no uh, responses, what exactly, what insurance coverage is that for? So it's, it's the broker services for the um, commercial and additional insurance that we, uh, that the mm -hmm. audit trustees are covered on every year when we mm -hmm. come forward. I think it's in the, Benji, I know you're listening to the meeting, right? Not there yet? Usually. Go ahead. Yeah, so I can speak to that. So uh, coming out of the um, senior internal mm -hmm. auditors report, one of the things they identified was that we uh, did not have a competitive bidding and contract with our mm -hmm. insurance brokers for that issue. So we issued one in response to that. Mm -hmm. um, and so this insurance, this RFP that was issued was to solicit bids for insurance brokers <coughs> to provide services. So an mm -hmm. insurance broker will generally work with the plan, figure out what areas of coverage we may need, go out to find out um, insurance carriers to see if they would be willing to provide products that would suit our needs. And so they, they manage a committed bidding process in, in some respects to get those bids to, or get those contracts to us for our review and approval. Okay. Thank you, Meetech. Any questions, other questions from trustees for the CEO? Any questions from the public? Is that a hand raised? Uh, can you tell me if there's a, you're having someone online raise their hand? No? Okay, thank you, um, Mr. Pena. We'll move forward with great eagerness to item 5C, presentation by Bill Hallmark on actuarial standards affecting public pension plans. Oh, no. Uh, Mr. Chairman, do you want to ask for 5B? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Passed yes. it right over. <laughs> sorry, Ms. Davis. Uh, in my anticipation of the actuaries, I always get excited, overexcited. I, excuse me. I'm sure uh, the actuaries appreciate that you're I'm excited sure about an actuarial presentation. Uh -huh. um, I, I just want to let everybody know, as Roberto said, the, the interim audit report is out, and it is available on the agenda for next week's council meeting. If you don't have it in your email, you can get it from the agenda and download it. I do have a paper copy here, but um, just, just one, and it's entitled Retirement Services Interim Report on the Alignment of Controls Between the City and the Office of retirement services. There is a section in there on um, what other independent uh, pension boards do for their processes. So I'd like to draw your attention to that if you could take a look at that. Thank you. Great, thank you. Any questions for our council liaison from trustees or from the public? All right, thank you very much. Hearing none. Now, Mr. Hallmark, <laughs> at long last. Thank you. I'm uh, bringing up my slides here. It's uh, nice to know that uh, you're all excited to hear about actuarial standards of practice. Uh, I know you follow them closely, but uh, no, really, uh, this is just a uh, short discussion item. We want to make uh, sure you are aware of some new disclosures that will be appearing in the valuation report in case you are asked about them. Uh, it it is not they are just disclosures and they are not going to affect the the core part of what we do 
So just to confirm, you're not asking us for any action today on these no, particular items? No, okay. this is just for your information. And, and, and I'll point out that there's one item in particular we want you to, to be aware of, and, and we will, I'll, I'll point that out when we get to it. Mm -hmm. So the, the core actuarial standard of practice for pension work is uh, number four, and it has not been revised for over a decade and they have been deliberating these changes for that full decade. And so it just came out and is effective uh, with this valuation report. The changes were largely targeted at public plans, uh, and there are three key areas um, that I'm gonna go, go through. The first two are, are really uh, going to turn out to be nothing for this plan. Uh, the third one has a minor change in the disclosure. So the, the first thing I wanted to point out is uh, plans are now required to disclose a reasonable actuarially determined contribution. Now you might have thought that was a standard before, but it was not. Uh, and there was a definition of an actuarially determined contribution, but it was a pretty loose definition. Uh, and so there were no real s standards uh, around that, no tight standards. So they have finally uh, put some things together. Most of the new information is about uh, amortization methods, um, but uh, our funding policy is consistent with the, that guidance, and so there's really no impact. Uh, this is mostly going to impact, there's a, a bunch of state plans that have statutory funding rates where the contribution rates just set in statute, uh, and, and those plans are now going to have to um, calculate an actual contribution and disclose it, so you can compare it to what their statutory rate is. Then. Um, We've always had some qualitative requirements about assessing the implications of the funding policy, but there are a couple uh, quantitative tests that have now been added. The first is to estimate how long before contributions would exceed the normal cost plus interest on the unfunded liability. So we, we've talked with this board about that uh, using the term tread fodder, because if you contribute that amount, it, your unfunded liability is expected to remain the same dollar amount a year later. Uh, when you look at um, surveys of public plans, uh, even now, only about half of the plans are contributing more than that amount. And, and so there, this is really trying to shine a light on some funding policies that are not keeping up with uh, the needs of the plan. The chart on the right shows uh, for your plan last year, uh, the, the bar on the left is showing the normal cost plus the interest on the unfunded liability, and on the right is your contributions, the member and city contributions, and you can see that it, it is greater than that. Now, when we came in in 2009, it was not greater than that. It was significantly below that, and so we worked hard uh, and finally crossed that threshold. Uh, I think it was like four or five years ago we, we finally crossed the threshold. Uh, then the other requirement is to estimate the period until the un 
funded liability is fully amortized. So uh, again, when we started in 2009, the answer would have been never because uh, the plan was using what's called a 30-year rolling amortization and it would never fully pay off the unfunded liability. And that's really the intent of this is to highlight those plans. Now uh, under yours, we will have a number, the largest number it will be is 31, uh, maybe less than that. It will be the, the longest remaining amortization base and we amortize assumption changes over 25 years. So uh, that is the longest uh, base could be. We smooth assets over five years and our contribution when we do the 2023 valuation, the contribution that that produces starts one year after that date on July 1, 2024. So you have a one year delay in there. I have a question. Sure. Um, I thought that, that we would be totally funded like in 18 years. I thought I saw that in a previous report. And this says 31 and I'm just Confused. This is saying the maximum would the be maximum 31 under it our funding policy. It could be faster depending on the pattern uh, yeah. of gains and losses. We're constantly, uh, and it doesn't say, uh, you know, how far short of full funding you might yeah. be. You could be hovering at like 98% for right. quite a few years. So, so, so it's very limited information. The thing, the answer you do not want here is never. Never. So maybe to paraphrase, every last penny will be paid off in 31 years, but after 18, is this substantially paid paid off in terms of the unfunded liability? Uh, I think it, that's well, we may be, I, I, I'd have to go uh, okay. look, but I think uh, you're probably right. There are systems where, mm -hmm. and, and actually I think I have it in the other presentation, we can look at it, but mm -hmm. there are systems where they will hit uh, full funding and then are expected to drop below. It's, it's just the mm -hmm. pattern of their gains and losses and when they're mm -hmm. recognized. Right. So. Um, Bill, does this mean that ASOP 4 still will permit negative amortization? It does for very limited. <laughs> uh, it, it's really tightened up the negative amortization. So if you, uh, if you have a rolling amortization period, so now I'm getting a little bit beyond what I planned to talk about, but rolling amortization are amortization methods that every year you re-amortize over the same period. Uh, if you have a rolling amortization, you can't, for it to be a reasonable contribution, it cannot have any negative. Uh, if you have it closed, it can have some. Okay. Uh, and, and in fact, on that first item, while we do not have any negative amortization now. We could temporarily have negative amortization. So if we had a 2008-2009 event, mm -hmm. yeah. we don't immediately jump our contribution up. We, we take some time to bring it up. And so we could have a short period uh, of negative amortization, probably be less than five years. So this is the longest, it cannot go beyond that. Will it, can, it, can this longest become more with the patterns of gains and losses? Uh, no, because uh, everything, all of our amortizations will be complete within 31 okay. years. Got so it. if all assumptions are met going forward, we would be exactly 100% funded in 31 years. Okay, thank you. Now, 
things change every year, so that never yeah. actually yeah. plays yeah. out. So th those are the two changes that I personally thought were really good changes to help highlight some bad practices around the country so that uh, you can separate the plans that are taking care of things from the plans that are not and, and encourage them to make some changes. Um, the, the next one is a requirement to uh, disclose what's called a low default risk obligation measure. And this measure is similar to a measure used by financial economists and has often, that measure has often been used to uh, criticize public plans as being uh, unaffordable. And so um, there, there's been a lot of concern about what this disclosure will, will do. And, and I think uh, there are two things that make it less of an issue for, for us. One is interest rates are much higher now, so mm -hmm. uh, it's not going to be as big of a, a deal. Uh, and the second is uh, we don't, we have not had the kind of scrutiny that some of the other systems have had on, on this issue. So it's only going to be in the VAL report, but it is something we want you to understand so that if someone asks about it, you're aware and can can answer. I, have, I do have a question. Sure. Here. I'm wondering why you're using the the 2022 uh, <laughs> so rates instead of, instead of the 2023, and they're not a lot different, but I uh, they are a bit different. But uh, the, well, this is just an this is just an illustration. Okay. Uh, and I just have I've been giving this talk for over a year now, so okay. <laughs> I just have not updated my illustration. Sorry. Um, so the, the general idea of the low default risk obligation measure is um, that you look at uh, low default risk fixed income securities and the yields on those and the spot yield curve and you match up your benefit payments with each of those years going out and you yeah. discount each year's benefit payments at that rate. Now that's theoretically the lowest risk portfolio you could have for the plan because you would have matched up a fixed income security with each of the benefit payments and um, you're only, you, you wouldn't be concerned about the investment returns after that. You'd only be concerned about default rates on, on those bonds. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a low default rate, that's uh, the minimum risk. Now, there are some practical issues with that implementing it. And you can see on my line there doing the spot rates that after 30 years it just holds steady going out. It's hard to find fixed income securities beyond 30 years. Yeah. And you've got benefit payments going beyond 30 years. Yeah. So there are other practical problems, but, it, but theoretically this is um, supposed to be a measure of what your liability would be with the minimum risk portfolio. Uh, there are some options of what we can use. Uh, the ones named in the um, standard include treasury rates. They also include high quality corporate bond yields. And so we're planning to use uh, what's called the FTSE Pension Liability Index. It's something that's been published since the 80s, I think, late 80s. Uh, it's used uh, by 
corporate plans for their uh, accounting disclosures and financial reporting. Uh, so it's it's a well-established standard. Um, and, and rather than go through the exercise of uh, matching the cash flows, we're planning to just use the index. I've mm -hmm. tested the index against a variety of different yield curves and different cash flows, and it's it's really pretty close. And since this is just a disclosure, um, I, I'm not sure the extra work of matching cash flows is, is really warranted. It is going to be volatile. You can see the, the yeah. lower line on the chart there uh, shows how it's bounced around. So this number is going to bounce around. Um, so just conceptually to think about this, if you just added up that whole projection of cash flows, so no interest, you just added it up, that's that gray bar. We're just adding them all up. For our funding valuation, we discount those all at the expected return on assets. And so you're really splitting it between that AAL is the actuarial accrued liability, and, and the discount is from the expected return on your diversified portfolio. <coughs> With the LD-ROM, all we're doing is that same measure, but discounting at a lower uh, interest rate that's tied to that low default risk fixed income return. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to get a, a larger number. Mm -hmm. So what does that difference represent? It, you can think of it two ways. It represents what you expect to save by investing in the diversified portfolio. Now, I do want to emphasize it's an expected savings. It's not guaranteed. It's not actual. It's just an expected savings. But that's why you're doing it. You expect uh, it to cost less because you're expecting higher investment returns. It's also what it would cost you to reduce that risk. Mm -hmm. or the total amount is what it would cost you to eliminate that risk. Um, and, and so I think it's helpful to think of it in, in those terms of um, this, is, this is why we're invested in a diversified portfolio. Mm -hmm. and, and this is, is the value. And, and we have to manage you know, how much risk we take. Um, but this is why we do it. Mm -hmm. Make sense to people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, we also we have to calculate it, disclose it, and explain it in the valuation report. So what we are planning to do is um, in your valuation report, there's a section called the assessment and disclosure of risk, and uh, in that section uh, we have. Uh, a sensitivity to the discount rate mm -hmm. already in there. And for our, our financial mm -hmm. statements, we already have to show plus and minus 100 basis points. We're just going to add the LD-ROM on here. Uh, and so this is just an example uh, that's based on your 2022 valuation. Um, and, and that feeds into that explanation of what the differences are. Uh, we specifically have to call out uh, funded status, contributions, and, and the puzzling one to us is the security of the benefits. And so <coughs> I'll give you my, my spiel on what I'm planning to write in your report <laughs> on this. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Can I ask a question? Before sure. So, so you, you, you take the expected, um, the, the savings for, uh, is based on the expected rate of return. It is not, which is an assumption. And that is what you use because investment returns are volatile, right? And so if you're using a benchmarking like a very safe corp, whatever that means, AAA, I don't know. Um, and then you have our portfolio with and the expect the discount rate that we have agreed to. Um, you're holding that constant, right? There's yeah. So here we use uh, six and five eighths as our yeah. discount rate or expected exactly. return. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the current. Uh, the the current liability index is 4.92 and, and that's it it's just that simple and yeah. and so all we are doing is saying that the the difference in those liability measures represents the expected the, the, savings the, from the, the diversified right. portfolio okay. mm -hmm. you, you can think of the 4.92 as the theoretical lbi portfolio sure yeah, uh, yeah I'm, i mean i'm just wondering why go through this rigmarole and what the <laughs> value of this is, but it's not clear to me, but thank I, you for I, I'm answering with my you. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a lot of the, the debate yeah. about when, yeah. why it should be in the standard. Yeah, okay, thanks. A, a couple of quick questions. I'm not sure I'm clear on why present the five and five eighths and seven and five eighths mm. uh, discount rates. Um, those numbers are, are um, required for our GASB disclosures, okay. so just, we include just, them just already. Just so the wiggle around the discount rate. Yeah, so they wanted mm -hmm. to make sure that mm -hmm. people could assess how the liability would change with mm -hmm. different discount rates, and so they yeah. came up with the plus and minus 100, 100 basis got points. It. And not okay. to belabor too much, but the 4.92 on the FTSE index is actually rather conservative. That's about what you can earn on a 30-year treasury bond. It's not what you can earn on uh, investment grade bonds. Uh, not today. Not today. As of June thirtieth. Yeah. I see. Is that okay? So. Yeah. To, today. So I've looked at it. Less. It would be like five and a half or something. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, just one thing. Um, piggybacking on uh, Trustee Chandra's question, could you tell the board where the LDROM originated as an idea, and um, that may shed some light on why why it's being included now in the standard? Sure. <laughs> I have a whole nother presentation. Yeah, on no, that. I know. <laughs> the bite-sized version, please. So um, there, there's been a lot of criticism of public plans for funding using the expected return, and, and there's been huge debate over that issue. And, and the other point of view is expressed by financial economists who say it should be based on something like this LD-ROM measure because that reflects what the market would charge for an exchange of the liabilities. And so there are a lot of different market prices. Uh, you could look at annuity prices. You could look at a variety of other things. In their purest theoretical sense, you would use um, treasuries because their view is um, these benefits are as safe as treasuries. I don't know that they're quite that safe, but they're pretty close. Um, and so that would give you the right financial measure of the market price for the liabilities. It, it seems to me by adding this new figure into our reports, we will actually open ourselves up to new criticism 
where people will focus on this and say, well, you know, you're using a fantasy number with your discount rate, and this is the real <coughs> number, which is only if we are investing extremely conservatively. So I see potential for some turbulence ahead if this is included, but it sounds like it's an obligation. It's a, yeah, you're exactly right. And okay. that was the um, <coughs> arguments we made against ha having it required. Okay. Um, but here we are. Here we are, I it is a, required. I have a tangential comment. I looked up treasury yield curves yesterday, mm -hmm. and it turns out 10 year are 4.91, and 30 year are at five. So this right. number is not right. This, well, off. they said it was aged, so it was yeah. based on. It, it would be higher today if they were looking yeah. at the index. So yeah. So the expected savings would be lower. Um, right, it, it, but not much. The, 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 uh, I'm, I'm going to stop. You can keep moving. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a beer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, mean also, I, I do I think mean, that I would like to say something. Uh, and if I remember in prior presentations, is that we are our discount rate is on the low range compared to other people i mean there are a lot that are higher in the seven percent or um right am i right bill or is it yes, yes. and are. we we will be addressing that directly in the next uh, agenda item yeah yeah so it's not like i mean we're conservative with the 6.25 Yes, this is a scenario that's even more conservative more than conservative. conservative. Yeah. This is yeah. like right. the ultimate okay. conservative. The ultimate conservative. Like, you, you really wouldn't want to go below yeah. that number, right? Um, okay. And, and so I, it, I just wanted to state that for the record. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry for that, Bill. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> Happy to do more with uh, offline. Okay. Uh, so we do have to explain it. The the weird explanation has to do with benefit security and what the significance is. And um, there's not a lot of clarity. And so I not, know a lot of actuaries are all kind of struggling with how they want to explain this. And, and the way I look at it, the, the security of the benefits depends on the assets we have in the trust, the investment returns we get on those assets, and the ability of the sponsor to make any additional contributions that are needed in the future. And so if you change from our current portfolio to this low default risk portfolio, uh, it's not gonna change the assets in the trust, but it is gonna reduce the expected return. It will reduce the, the volatility of those returns, but reduce the expected return. So our, we would report a lower funded status. <coughs> Uh, we would make uh, require higher contributions, but those contributions would not fluctuate as much with uh, investment returns uh, because we'd be changing the discount rate every year too. Um, but how does that uh, come out in terms of benefit security? It, it really uh, depends because uh, you're shifting reliance from future uh, investment returns of the diversified portfolio into uh, contributions. It, that's the, the shift. And so the answer could be different for different plans in different mm -hmm. situations. Uh, I, I don't think there's, for, for 
your plan, I don't think there's a material difference in the security of benefits uh, on this. Uh, you know, you could argue that maybe it forces contributions to too high of a level uh, for the city, um, but that is offset by the, the reduction in the investment risk. There may be, Bill, one other political significance. Go back to 1999 when CalPERS was asked about funding the benefits and new benefits to be granted and they assured the public and the legislature <coughs> that there would be more than enough income coming in to pay for the benefits and that <coughs> turned out to be so remarkably incorrect. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that if you had this LD-ROM in place at that time, it might have put a dampening effect on the promises that were made that then, <coughs> could, that then would, were difficult to keep. It's a political significance, it, not, a, not a funding significance. Right, it, it might have. The other uh, issue that's been pointed out is if you go back um, to the late 80s and early 90s, uh, we were, Pension plans were assuming eight to nine percent returns, but this LDROM would have had a higher uh, interest rate. And um, the the question, when that interest rate gets that high compared to what you're doing outside of it, the question is, well, why aren't you invested in the lowest risk portfolio? And, and so I think it does um, it does highlight some of um, some of those issues potentially, um, especially for well-funded plans uh, with the higher interest rates, you, you now will have a number that you can look at to see um, what it would cost to, to reduce your risk. <coughs> so any other questions on, on <laughs> this side topic? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious about one comment you made. You said it's not so much an issue for our plan. Is that because of the strength, the fiscal strength of our sponsor? Uh, it, it's both the fiscal strength of your sponsor and the political environment. Okay, we can so, leave it at that. You know, for for example, that number was used in North Dakota this year in the legislature to get them to close their defined mm -hmm. benefit plan and replace it with a defined contribution plan. Yeah, interesting. Okay. If there are no other questions from trustees, any questions from the public? Hearing none, we can move on to our item 5D, which is Again, Mr. Hallmark, discussion of economic assumptions for our actuarial valuation. Just second here, and I'll bring that up. <coughs> it's interesting with uh, the pandemic, I got so good at uh, changing my sharing of screen that Remotely, I have multiple screens to choose from. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little awkward doing it just like on you're my laptop. A synthesizer. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, to
today we want to uh, address the economic assumptions that we will be using in the, the valuation, but uh, I, I do want to start with the, the schedule here uh, so that you know that you'll be getting sick of me in over the next four <laughs> months. Impossible. Uh, <laughs> so uh, today we'd, we'd like to get the economic assumptions set for the valuation. Uh, next month we will have uh, preliminary uh, pension valuation results, but the, the big item next month is our demographic experience study. We only do this every four years for this plan, and it's a review of all of our um, demographic assumptions like retirement rates, mortality, termination, and so there's potentially a lot of data uh, to go through um, if we are making changes. We haven't, uh, I haven't done the study yet, so I don't know, uh, I don't have a good sense of uh, whether there are a lot of changes or not. I, I don't expect there to be significant changes. Uh, and then we will also uh, be reviewing the assumptions for the OPEB plan, and those are more like participation in the plan, um, probabilities of electing Kaiser versus other health plans, those kinds of things. So th that will be a very heavy assumption meeting. Uh, and then December and January, we'll be bringing back final uh, reports, mostly. So um, I wanted to start, though, with uh, sort of updating projections just for the investment returns. Uh, the last two years, this has been a, um, an eye-opener as to the significant changes uh, in 2021, we had great returns, 2022, uh, not so much. Um, but this year, the returns came in very close uh, to the assumption. They're slightly better than the assumption. So this is looking at the projection of the unfunded liability. And the blue line is uh, what we projected from the 2022 valuation. And the red bars are the adjustment just reflecting the investment returns. And uh, to so clarify, these are based on the returns as reported by Makita, or this is your independent? Uh, these are based on the, the asset statements provided by ORS that have been audited. Okay. So these are not uh, directly based on returns. They're based on the actual assets in the plan. Okay, great. Uh, they just assume that the liabilities meet all our expectations, so we don't have any gains or losses on, on that front. Uh, and, and so you can see we're looking at the funded status improving a, a, a little bit, um, but really pretty minor changes, yeah. I, yeah. I have a question. I think that most of the unfunded liability was from the 2022 down, um, downside, it was one point nine billion. So do we have four more years of unfunded liability that carry over or losses that we're that are carrying over? Well, uh, so most of this unfunded liability dates back to Longer. 2009 okay. uh, era. And so every year we, we carry it forward and we pay down a little bit. And so this is showing the projection of how uh, we see. would be paying it down. So the so you can see we're looking at 
most of the liability being paid off in 18 years, I got which it. is okay. what someone had, had noted earlier, yeah. but there's a little remnant that continues yeah. uh, beyond that. Uh, these are the projections of contributions with the uh, percent of pay on the left and the dollar amount uh, on the right. And the blue line is the projection from the last valuation. And the gold bars and purple bars are based on the, the new assets. So you can see we're not looking at much of a change here uh, projected going forward, just based on the investment returns. So uh, I'm going to jump into the economic assumptions. Uh, I do want to say there's only one change we are proposing. Uh, and so I'll spend a little bit more time on that. I'll try and go through the other stuff quickly. But if you have a question on what I'm going through, stop me. Good. Uh, and we can address it. Uh, we do look at these every year. And, and it's just the demographic assumptions we look at every four years. And so we're looking at. Um, the price inflation, the wage inflation, the amortization payment increase rate, and then the discount rate. Um, so price inflation is kind of uh, a bi key building block. Uh, it, it's a component of the other uh, assumptions, but it uh, does not really have a direct impact on the valuation. Uh, because our, our colas for tier one are fixed, uh, and for tier two, they are tied to inflation, but they have a, a pretty low cap uh, below our assumed inflation rate. There's a small group of people that have, uh, well, everyone has the guaranteed purchasing power, but there's a small group that actually get it. Uh, and, and so that could uh, ha have an impact. Uh, with different inflation assumptions. And the 415B limits are affected, which again affects a very small group. So really, there's no big direct impact. We look at, um, <coughs> we look at history, um, but we don't put a whole lot into history. Mostly, we're looking at projections for the future. And one of the things we look at is the break-even inflation, which is a consensus expectation uh, from investors, that rate is very close to our assumption of two and a half. Mm -hmm. We also look at some surveys. Uh, the Pro Forecaster survey is a survey conducted by the Philadelphia Federal Reserve of Economic Forecasters. Um, so that, that's a key one we look at. Their uh, median over the next 10 years is 2.4%. The 2023 Horizon Survey, that's a, a survey of 42 investment consultants, and theirs is 2.4. Uh, we look at uh, national plans, California plans, two and a half looks reasonable. So we're not suggesting any change. The wage inflation, wage inflation is the across the board salary increases. So it, you can think of it as price inflation plus a level of real wage growth. Uh, then on top of that, we study as part of the demographic study, 
the step increases, promotions, all those kinds of increases, uh, we tie them to, to service levels for, for our model mostly. Um, but th that's not a part of the wage inflation. So th these are not the salary increases everybody individually gets. It's the across-the-board increase. Mm -hmm. Our assumption is 3%. Uh, the chart on the right shows the, the um, number of plans and their assumptions in, in the state of California. Mm -hmm. And you can see 3% is the most common. It's the median mode and, and average. And is that mm -hmm. sort of out to forever, a 3%? Yes. That's how we use it, yes. Yeah. Uh, on the left-hand side, we have some wage inflation data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Uh, these are through the fourth quarter of 2022, so there's a, there's a little lag in their statistics. Uh, but you can see, if you go out to 20 years, it's been about 3%. Uh, with inflation at two and a half. Uh, more recently, it, it's been higher, um, but that's uh, reflecting the last couple of years. I think we've all seen the wage pressures. Uh, Is those the local government wage inflation data across the United States or across California or what's your? A across the United States for the BLS data. Okay. So it's not taking into account locality. No. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and then the other thing we look at are the bargaining agreements. Mm -hmm. And this is the, the key piece. So on the right, we have a table of the, the most recent agreements. And we're listing the bargaining units and, and what's in those agreements. And, and so this is the, the place where we're going to suggest a, a change. Uh, for police and fire, we have always uh, taken into account any across-the-board increases that are in uh, signed wage agreements. So if they have a three-year agreement, we use those three years of wage increases in the valuation, and then we use our assumption of 3% beyond that. There's only two years left or one year left. We, we only use that, and then we use the the 3%. For federated, what we've typically done is we take into account the agreements in the current year, yeah. but then just go to the, the 3%. And the, the reason we've done that is because you have all these different bargaining agreements, and it gets uh, somewhat complex. And just to understand, you have July 1st as a date there, but that's not the date that that rate increase. It was September 15th. I, I don't know. I doubt that really matters in your model, but just so you know. Uh, well, I think most of them, it says the first uh, pay period following um, yeah, it was the, the late, well, what delayed some of it is it's uh, following approval by the city council. Right, which was, it started in September. Yeah, so that affects, um, that affects some of them. Some of them date back before that. Um, the better, for the local 21. Um, yeah, it's the, the big ones though, the, you're right. The MEF, the CAMP, the AEA, 
the uh, AMSP, all of those are right. uh, Unit 99 uh, got 5%, and then in September they got 1% more. Um, so what we are suggesting is that rather than uh, in the in years two and three, year one will match up with the bargaining agreement, but in years two and three, rather than matching each individual bargaining agreement and the timing of the, the wage increases, that we just assume four and a half percent as of 7-1-2024 and three and a half as of 7-1-2025. So let me go back. Uh, so the four and a half is coming from the four percent seven one twenty twenty four, and the, most of them getting one percent in twenty twenty five, January first twenty twenty five. So halfway through the year, and then um, the large ones have three and a half in July first twenty twenty five, which could convert to four, um, but for our purposes, we just assume three and a half, and then we'd assume. 3% after that. Now there, there are some of the small units that only have three in that year. So we'd be a little bit high uh, in that year. What happened to OE3? They don't have any? Uh, on the, the operating engineers, OE3? Yeah, OE3. Um, I didn't see anything posted on the website for them. Uh, I think they're ending the year, but I mean, I so. No, that's what I mean is I didn't see anything posted that carried forward. Yeah. But you have to put some percent there, or otherwise you're understating it. it no, I'm suggesting that for everyone, we're using, um, we're using these numbers, the four and a half and three and a half going forward. We will track down what is happening uh, immediately um, for the operating engineers, and there was one or two other groups where we didn't have. Oh, okay, so you'll update that later. Yeah. Okay, I got it. So by making this change, we would um, recognize mm -hmm. that impact of those future increases now. It would be an mm -hmm. assumption change, so we'd amortize it over 25 years. It'd give mm -hmm. us a, a better representation of what our liability is mm -hmm. and what we expect it to, to be going forward. Mm -hmm. um, it's a slight complication from what we do now, but not, not a significant complication. Uh, if we don't make the change, we would expect no, to see to losses change. over the next yeah. three years. And so uh, we would prefer, since it's known that they have these agreements, that we reflect those agreements. I concur. And Bill, your method takes into account the fact that these are compounding rates, correct? Yes. I... Our amortizations, there's a step increase each year in the payment on each amortization. It's right now it's 2.75%. When we've set this in the past, we've looked at uh, increasing them at inflation and at the wage inflation. We do not, would not want it to go higher than wage inflation, 
uh, and it's more conservative the, the lower we go. So we're not proposing a change here. We think we're comfortable with staying at the 275. The discount rate. This is the most powerful assumption. Uh, this is looking at our historical returns on uh, blue is on the market value of assets and green is on the smoothed actuarial value of assets. Uh, so you can see the big effect in 2021 and mm -hmm. then the, the counter in 2022. We've, uh, we, initially led the charge reducing the discount rate. Uh, these are showing historical for uh, California on the left with uh, this plan being the, the gold diamond. So you can see we've been at the lower end of rates. And then on the right hand side, you can see where, where everyone is. So now um, most plans in California are at 6.75, so just slightly higher than we are. It's really, uh, they've come down a lot. Uh, I think last year there were only 10 plans at 6.75 and 19 at 7. So they, they've been continuing to come down and catch up with us. One of the things we've looked at every year is our discount rate compared to a risk-free rate where we are using the yield on the 10-year treasury and that, that difference represents an expected risk premium uh, that, that we have to achieve through the portfolio. A and we've been through a long history where those, the yield on the 10-year treasury has been going down, 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 uh, much faster than we've brought the discount rate down. So the, the expected risk premium we've had to achieve with the portfolio has gone up. And, um, it's not just this plan, it's every plan, and that has changed asset allocations dramatically as well. Yeah. Um, now we suddenly have a reversal. Uh, and again, the yield on the 10-year treasury is much higher now than it was on June 30th, so yeah. the 3.75 is out of date. Um, but as of June 30th, uh, it's quite a bit higher and we, we hadn't seen those uh, numbers for quite a while. So that has really upended some things. Uh, and it's upended the capital market assumptions. We saw the biggest change in capital market assumptions that we've seen uh, in a long time. Yeah. Uh, the, we're showing here both uh, Makita's assumptions for your portfolio and then the average assumption in the Horizon survey. So again, that's 42 investment consultants 20 of whom provide, or 27 of whom provide 20 year returns as well as 10 year. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so those expected returns went up 150 to 200 basis points in the last year. And so they are above our, our current expected rate of return. And here we show the history that the um, gray bar represents the range between the 10-year expectation and the 20-year expectation, and the gold diamond is our expected return. Uh, and you can see we've generally tried to be in the middle of that range between the 10 and 20-year. But now, all of a sudden in 2023, it, it has popped up dramatically. 
Um, so that the, the 10 years, seven and a half under the horizon assumptions and 8.2 under Nakia's. Um, you can see in 2019, we had a brief pop-up uh, in, in the assumptions and we held steady with, with our assumed return. And we are uh, suggesting we do the, the same thing uh, this year. The, the reason being um, the increase in the capital market assumptions, there's a lot that goes in with valuations and stuff and we see variability with valuations, but the real fundamental driver of this change has been the change in interest rates uh, due to the Federal Reserve raising uh, their rates. And we don't know when or if that's coming down. And, and we know from this plan's experience, it is very hard to reduce the discount rate. It increases contributions and, and it has been a, a long haul. So we wanna be very cautious about increasing our discount rate and ensure that the, the capital markets are reaching a new plateau. It is just fine for the discount rate to be less than the expected rate of return. It's just a more conservative uh, position, um, provides some margin for us. Uh, what it has been painful in the last decade or so is it's not really true for the reverse to be true. We do not want our expected return to be higher than what we're actually expecting. So um, for, for those reasons, we're proposing that we do not make a change to the discount rate this year, that we monitor this uh, going forward. Uh, I would say um, it, we will, if the capital market assumptions stay at, at this level, we will want to consider some increases and, and think about the, the margin of conservatism we want to maintain. The other side of it that we have to take into account is that the employee contribution rates are affected by the discount rate. And so putting too much of a margin of conservatism may be viewed as charging the employees too much. So we, we do want to keep that uh, in mind, um, but we also do not want to increase the discount rate, reducing employee contributions, and then have to reverse course and, and turn them back up again. So at this point, we think we should hold where we are and, and then reconsider it next year. <coughs> Any questions on that or thoughts? Can you remind us the impact of the increase in the wage inflation on contributions? Are the things remaining the same? Um, I don't. I don't have it up, but it it is a uh, significant change to contributions. If we increase the the discount rate, let's see. We we showed you the liability. No, not the discount rate. The the wage inflation increase that. Oh, uh, the wage. Yeah. Yes, I, I do not have the cost impact of that yet. We are in the process of generating it with the preliminary um, valuation results. But directionally, do you? Directionally, do you it, will be, it will increase the costs as a dollar amount. I would point out that about two-thirds to 70% of our liability is for people who've already left the system and are not active, and so it's only affecting the 
30 to 35 percent of the liability for active members. So if you look at it in the in the whole scope, it, it's not going to be uh, a huge impact, but it will be an impact. Okay. Any other questions from trustees? Ms. Davis. Thank you. Can you go back to uh, slide 16, the historical performance slide? I just want to um, kind of make a connection between the the discount rate and I think it was slide 20. Can you please speak into your mic? I can't hear you. Sorry about that, Julie. Um, just want to make a connection between the, the discount rate and the projected discount rates, uh, the projected returns in 2018, 2019, and 2020. You you had said, I think, that, that the, um, the discount rate was right in the middle of projected returns, but our actual returns those years were quite a bit lower than our assumed rate of return. So I just, I think the the advice that you have, cautioning an increase in the discount rate is very prudent, given the fact that when we look at our historical performance, we don't meet our assumed rate of return more often than we exceed our assumed rate of return. Thank you. Thank you. I concur. I will also point out the, the assumed rate of return in those years is higher than it is today. Any other questions or comments? One question, if I may, Mr. Chairman. Please. Bill, on slide 19, the Horizon Survey and the Makita projections, are those based on our specific asset allocation? Uh, yes, so uh, Makita's is absolutely based on your target okay. asset allocation. The Horizon one, we map the target asset allocation to the asset classes available, and so there's uh, there's more <laughs> refinement in the Makita assumptions than there is in the the Horizon survey because it'd be uh, you know rather than breaking out like venture and buyouts, it's all private equity. So if we, so this, this takes into account Makita's view of how our portfolio is likely to perform in the yes. future. And if we, if we don't increase. Can you do the same thing, talk more? If we not? don't increase the discount rate, that takes some pressure off of staff to chase riskier assets. Is that right? Yes. And, okay. um, but given the current portfolio under the Makita assumptions, there's greater than a 60% chance of achieving the assumed return, which is, is so, good. So there is, is there, there's a margin for adverse deviation exactly. built into it. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? So let me... I have an observation and then a couple of questions. One is, uh, this is really the first time in my experience at the board that we are even in a position to even contemplate raising the discount rate. In the past, it's been a race to the bottom to how much we would lower the discount rate. So there is a significant margin of error compared to the expected rates of return. I personally don't think we should change the discount rate at this time, but it's something to monitor. I'm curious, 
can you say how low our returns in the current fiscal year can go and still maintain a five-year rate of return above the discount, the current discount rate? Have I made myself <laughs> I, clear in that question? I can't, I can't off the top of my head, but okay. uh, if you remind me, I can bring that back for the next meeting. Okay. Um, we where do I have might in the, in the, well, in the valuation report, there is a chart that shows what we expect the um, contribution to be for the next year's, based on the next year's investment return. Mm -hmm. um, so you can get some sense of, but your question is slightly different than that, so. Right. Um, okay, yeah, I, th I thought that one might be a tricky one. Um, so I, I, I would support all of uh, your suggestions in terms of no changes. With the one possible exception of the price inflation, I believe the logic behind leaving it at 2.5% is, is sound. However, I guess uh, since it's not something that actually affects contribution rates greatly, uh, and when headline inflation seems to be at 3% or above, I wonder if the board would look more attuned to current events if we were to approve a higher price inflation assumption. I wouldn't want observers or stakeholders to believe we are immune to events or sleep the switch or whatever metaphor you want to use. So perhaps more for appearances than for, for actual economic logic. Might we consider increasing it to 3%? So would you, would you then increase the wage inflation to three and a quarter to I be I think consistent? that might be justified because if we look at your chart on slide 12, we can see that the long-term rates of wage inflation vary between three and three and a half percent for the various uh, negotiating groups. So it mm -hmm. seems like that could be justified. Yeah, I would say three and a quarter is reasonable, mm -hmm. uh, as is three. Um, so I, I certainly would not object to increasing yeah. it to three and a quarter. And this is based on your uh, observation that changing, changing those numbers uh, would not have a material effect on the Well, changing, rates. so there is going to be a difference between just changing the salary increases for the next two years versus mm -hmm. changing the long term, uh, that will have a, a more significant impact in increasing costs. Mm -hmm. um, and I, this issue is came up with the police and fire board. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. We were much more um, suggesting that three and a quarter may be more appropriate for them given that they tend to, to get slightly get higher. More. Yeah, um, and three and increases. a quarter is probably pretty low for them. But, <laughs> but um, they were also much more interested in, in raising the discount rate, and we suggested um, yeah. do them at the same time if you're going to do them um, because they work in opposite directions then. I think the other thing to consider on the wage inflation and Trust me, I was intimately involved in that. I mean, most of the uh, bargaining units have a three-year contract now. And it might be worthwhile to look at that 
as we get closer to the end of that, see what's going on, see where the inflation actually is. Um, so I could be convinced either way, um, but I also think maybe now is not the time, maybe a little later, you know, but that's just my thought. Well, this is an annual set of assumptions, so later will be next next fall. Yeah, I think looking at it in next fall would be better. I mean, like I said, we just ha we have a three-year contract now, so. Mm -hmm. so I mean, we do need to make the current bargaining agreement changes. That's for sure. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just you got to do it. Okay, we could also in raise the price inflation without raising the wage inflation. So that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at this point, we do need a motion either on all four assumptions or on any individual assumptions. And I will entertain anyone who would like to make a motion. I'll put forward a motion to accept what um, uh, Chiron has put forward. Okay, so that's no changes for uh, price all, wage, all, price I'm, wage, I'm, well, the yeah. amortization I mean, rate under this cap yeah. rate. Okay. I'll second Keep that, Mr. Simple. Chair. Okay. Except for the except for the changes. reflecting. Well, the that they put forward that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So we, we have, have a, yeah. a first from Vice Chair Jennings, a second from Trustee Linder. Uh, further discussion by trustees on this question. Any comments from the public? Okay, we will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I will vote aye as well. So assumptions pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Homer. See you next month. We hold Bill fully accountable for all yeah. this. <laughs> well, we, we look forward to seeing him next month. Okay, now we're on to item 5E. Uh, discussion, scope of legal authority under the plan. Uh, and I believe uh, Reed Smith has a memo and will present on this item. Yes, thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, so in the past few months, there has been uh, confusion regarding the jurisdiction and the authority of the boards over ORS. ORS is a city department, but is unique from all other city departments in that the San Jose Municipal Code specifies that it serves at the pleasure of the board. And we have delegated authority to ORS to help us with our day-to-day -day operations in our plan administration. Um, the, the memo I provided with your backup materials is a public document, and so I'm, I feel freely to speak about it here today. The reason why I provided this document was to provide the board the legal landscape of its authority, both provided under the, the um, puzzle, so to speak, of the California Constitution, the uh, city charter, as well as the San Jose Municipal Code. And so from pulling all those three governing um, sources of law, I, I put together a, a structure that outlines the board's authority under each body of law. So the board has a better understanding of um, what their authority is. There was some previous confusion, for example, about what Measure G meant. 
and what, what authority that provided to the board vis-a-vis -vis the city. Um, and so this, this memo here is to provide the board um, an understanding of that. Now, the board sits as an independent fiduciary over the retirement system. It's separate from its plan sponsor, which is the city, and that's for good reason. Um, in 1992, Prop, uh, one, Prop 162 or 162 uh, was a, amended the California Constitution to impose a duty of loyalty on all boards of retirements. And this was done in part because cities and counties and plan sponsors were raiding the public pension funds to help balance some of their budgets whenever there was a shortfall. And the, the voters wanted to make sure that um, the, the funds that were dedicated for the payment of retirement benefits was protected from that. And so that's why we sit, there, sit as independent from the city as fiduciaries over the trust funds. And in addition to that, um, the, the IRS requires independence for the board and the, from their plan sponsors for us to maintain our tax qualified status. As, uh, and so th there's, there's, that's the genesis of why the board sit as independent from the city <laughs> and why, for example, ORS is special in a sense because we work with ORS to administer the plan as independent fiduciaries, delegating our independent authority for that plan administration separate from the city who funds the plan. So I just wanted to provide that overall contextual mm -hmm. background so everyone's, so we're all level set um, in terms of why we have that separation in the first place. And um, I provided a pretty detailed memo that uh, outlines that landscape. And I, what I hope to do is clarify and map out areas where in the law it's clear where our authority is provided either under the Constitution, the city charter, or the San Jose Municipal Code and also to identify gaps where we can work with the city. Now, the San Jose Municipal Code does not outline exactly what to do in every circumstance, and um, there are gaps that we may, areas of uh, confusion or gray areas, so to speak, that we would want to work out with the city. And I've been made aware that the trustees have, um, I mean, sorry, the city auditor has issued its interim uh, report mm -hmm. on the alignment of controls between the city and the ORS. Um, the city audit identifies a number of uh, support services in that the city provides to ORS. For example, a few of them mentioned in both my memo as well as the city auditor's report, which were uh, IT infrastructure, payroll systems, and email systems. Um, one important finding, even presented in the city auditor's report in finding number one, is that ORS relies on city resources and support services, but the procedures are should be clarified in certain areas. And, um, and this includes in the payment and processing, uh, I'm sorry, on procurement and payment processing issues. Um, the city auditor acknowledges in its report that um, the board has the ultimate authority on how the funds are spent, and ORS should follow the board's directions on that, those financial activities. And that's on page 16 of the report, so I do want to draw your attention to that. Um, one of the things the city auditor's report also aligns with my legal memo that I provided the board on the board's authority is that the boards have rulemaking authority over its, mm -hmm. its um, operations. And as fiduciary counsel, I fully agree with much of what the city auditor's report says. And um, I'm providing this memo to the board as a starting point for the boards to collectively work and update and create policies to, and identify gaps where we can work with the city either to come up with new policies or an MOU that speaks on certain operations that it provides to ORS. 
Um, so it would be, you know, conceptually an agreement or a, a memorandum of understanding that we would have with the, the city regarding certain areas where there is overlap. Um, so I, we need to work through that, clearly, um, mm -hmm. but it's going to take some time, but this is just the starting point. So I did want to plant mm -hmm. the seeds so the board can understand where we're standing and where we got to go. Um, another thing that you'll see in the memo, I, and I don't want to belabor the point because the memo's pretty detailed, and I would refer you back to the memo to take a look at it a little more closely. Um, but as you'll see in the memo, the board has duties and authorities provided from the three bodies of law I mentioned. One, under the Constitution, just as a highlight, um, the Constitution imposes on the board four uh, duties or powers, so to speak. One is over the actuarial services and competency of the assets. The board maintains absolute independence on those issues, and that's something purely within the board's jurisdiction and jurisdiction alone. Um, another area within the board's jurisdiction and the board's jurisdiction alone is obviously um, payment of benefits. Um, this is where my, and another area would be um, investments. That's purely a function of the board in within our jurisdiction. This is where I think a little overlap may occur between the co our constitutional authority in the city, which is on plan administration. We have this sole and exclusive and plenary authority over the plan administration, but we use a lot of the services that the city provides. And so there, th that's one area where I think we can work with the city and kind of supplement some of our authority and figure out who, who's doing what on that piece. Under the city charter, the city charter is a little bit more limited in terms of what it speaks to with regard to the board. The city charter uh, recognizes our constitutional independence provided by the California Constitution and our fiduciary duties, but it also addresses personnel and budgeting issues. That's to a large extent what the, what the city charter uh, says about us here, and this is where Measure G fits in. There was, Measure G amended the city charter to provide um, direct reporting lines of the CIO and the CEO to the board in recognition of our uh, independence as fiduciaries and um, also provides the CEO to create positions uh, for the necessary operations of ORS. However, um, the city controls the authority to approve the, the funding and budgeting for those positions. So we, mm -hmm. so for example, we could request a position for a compliance officer and the CEO mm -hmm. can create that position and we can try to go hire somebody, but we would have to present that position to the city council to approve a budget to fund that position. So that's, that's in terms of personnel, generally speaking, that's how Measure G operates and that's what, what it means to us. Um, the same goes with um, budgeting issues. We, we propose a budget to the, the city council and they approve it um, for our administration each year. So before I go on to the San Jose Municipal Code provisions, which are much more lengthier, I want to just pause to see if there's any questions. There have been um, some confusion, I believe, around Measure G. So are there, in fact, any questions from trustees? Well. I, I will say I've read through what the um, um, city auditors uh, put out and what we have here, and I recognize it's complicated. <laughs> and I feel that one of the major issues he was drawing to, which you've addressed here as well, is that you know ORS is made up of city staff, and right. because of that, that creates complexity. That's right. Um, and um, so I think 
it, I, I agree with you that we should further define, you know, kind of rules of operation of, per se in governance or whatever so that we have it understood and that we can make sure our employees understand it and that we all understand it, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I agree with that. Um, and But this also, I think, clarifies a little more about um, why we keep on going back to the Measure G, why we, you know, the state, you know, it, 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 it's not a typical department within the city of San Jose, and it has complexity. So we really need what you have here and what the auditor provided, and those two things to me are like the two legs <laughs> to um, further work on this. Well, I'm glad to be one of the legs. <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> because it's a very I, complicated road we were going to be walking on, but I accept the challenge. I, I do believe that, you know, so Measure G really has to do with personnel issues. It's not, mm -hmm. I just want to make sure the board's fully clear about this. It's not giving us carte blanche um, independence from the city. That's not what Measure G stands mm -hmm. for. Uh, what, where we do have full independence from the, from the city is on our California constitutional um, fiduciary abilities mm -hmm. and authority that's provided there um, that I went over those four or five different mm -hmm. areas. Um, so I just wanted to make sure, you know, we're all level mm -hmm. set when we go into, um, now that we've received the city's auditor's report to understand where we're all standing vis-a-vis mm -hmm. each other. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is, so the San Jose Municipal Code um, supplements what the, Cal the California Constitution provides us, and there's a number of different areas in the um, San Jose Municipal Code that specifies certain things. So for example, we're provided rulemaking authority, you have contracting authority, and one important thing I wanna note on the contracting authority is that in both municipal codes, both for the San Jose um, Police and Fire and as well as Federated, the, municipal, the San Jose Municipal Code requires that all contracts that the board enters into for ORS is under the name of the board. Now that creates a liability issue if payment doesn't get paid for whatever reason because of a disagreement on um, payment processing, our, our system versus the finance director's system, right? So that if, if we miss a payment, who, who's liable, the boards are liable. So it's even more important that we create our own processes and procedures to make sure that our payments are paid on time um, and make sure we get in alignment with the city to get their buy-in on how that's being done to the extent we're using the, the finance department's um, mm -hmm. custodian uh, uh, services. So I did want to flag that as one important thing to take note of. Um, also, in the, the municipal code provides us um, authority for custodian selections and disbursements of funds. Mm -hmm. Now, nothing in the municipal code says that we must custody our assets with the finance director. We have um, authority to decide out otherwise, and we do for it, for our um, investments um, assets. We do custody it with a it, with a different custodian. So that's another thing I would just want to flag for the board to consider. Um, and we also have you know authority to delegate investment issues down to staff. Um, the, on page four of the memo, it outlines the the municipal code provisions with regard to ORS, there's only three provisions in the entire municipal code. Um, and what it says is one is established, first provision says it establishes ORS, second provision says it has a department head, and the third provision is really where the meat of it is, and it specifies that the, the, the city will provide staff as required for the board to fulfill its duties in administering the retirement system. 
that the ORS will maintain records for the two retirement systems and th that ORS will perform other duties and responsibilities with respect to the federated and the police and fire retirement plans as, as may be from time to time authorized or requested. And so we have a direct oversight over ORS because they are operating for our day-to-day -day operations and plan administrations, but yet again, they are still city employees. Um, I've already covered Measure G. And so, you know, my recommendation at the very end of the memo is that we uh, really consider and look at this and kind of decide which buckets the boards um, collectively with the police and fire decide which, what, what buckets of um, issues do we believe fall within our independent jurisdiction, and to the extent they do fall under that, our independent jurisdiction, what rules do we want to play by? To the extent there's any overlap, for, for example, cybersecurity issues and cybersecurity um, insurance issues and uh, things of that nature that overlap with city systems, to what extent do we want to follow their rules and what extent we want to create our own rules, to what extent you know, maybe we want to get our own IT, who knows, probably not. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, those are the type of things that we need to think about. You know, where in, in, in making that decision whether or not to use city processes or not requires a level of duty of prudence. Like, is it cost effective to do? Is it is it more? Will it aid in our administration to be more seamless? There's there's a number of issues at play. You know, economies of scale mm -hmm. being in large part one of the major issues in determ de determining whether or not we want to do our own or not, where there is overlap. And so there's no action required for this. This is just kind of you know a primer, so to speak. Primer, primer, I'm never sure which one it is. Um, to, to really just level set everyone mm -hmm. while we're looking at the city auditor's report. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from trustees? I, I, did, kind, I did kind of have a question regarding, you know, obviously even the first sentence of the recommendation in terms of fostering strong relationships, going through greater clarity of these rules, procedures, and protocols. While there's no action to be made right now, what are some of the recommendations on how we as a board move forward? And I ask that because I don't work in the office, so there's protocols and things that some of the employees may see that they could recommend to us. There's some that we may see at a different level. Um, is there some steps on how we would go forward with this process? Yeah, so if you look towards the, what I would recommend is that right now we have the audit committee. The audit committee is going through a number of the issues that are raised there. And uh, from, from the audit committee where we can identify like, hey, this, this, pro, this um, policy that we use for the audit's outdated or there's no policy for this area, they would identify those issues with our governance um, uh, consultant Cortex and working with legal counsel as well and then refer that out to the governance committee because governance committee is really where a lot, of, a lot of the policies should be looked at and considered and then once the um, governance committee has reviewed those from the joint audit committee so it's going to be a little bit of a you know one step two step type thing and then once the governance committee feels comfortable and gets comfortable with those materials then it would be recommended to the board for full action and the board both boards would then review it to make sure that um, it, they agree with it generally speaking the, the committees operate as working groups to work on and delve in and dive in on those issues so that they, once they feel comfortable they recommend it to the board any other questions from trustees yeah so Thank you, Mehta, for putting this together. Uh, it definitely answers uh, some of the questions that the audit committee is facing right now, and 
uh, it, it clarifies a lot of things and uh, also puts forward us a lot of work that needs to be done, mm -hmm. uh, both in the audit committee and the, um, and the governance committee. Uh, now, I think there's another action item on Cortex that only looks at the procurement aspect. And, and here what we are discussing are all the policies. Yeah. So this is the scope is much wider as compared to just the procurement. Yes, and that's and that's by design. And so the reason why we were first going with the procurement issue is that it is a pressing issue um, for procurement and the payment processing issues surrounding um, surrounding contracting. So that's why it's first in line. Um, you're right. There's a lot of work to do. And my understanding is that the board had um, approved an audit plan. For the the auditors to follow, and um, you know, the, maybe the board wants to revisit that audit plan so that we can take a look at it in, in alignment with this memo. Um, so once once the audit committee has decided what the audit plan will be and what issues we will address in what order, and have the auditors look at that, then we could work with you know our governance. Uh, consulting cortex to build those out because right now you're right we, there's just too much and I think uh, at one time and I think to do it well we have to do it in a planned fashion with everyone understanding which parts are being looked at when and so that we can work together collectively as a board and use our collective judgment yeah. and even though you know all there are policies where there are overlaps but and the even in those policies, there may be some kind of customization that may be required. So, for mm -hmm. instance, the code of ethics says that all employees all employees should follow the city policies. But now there are different set of policies for ORS. So even the code of ethics needs to be revised. Right, right. So those are the type of issues we would address with the city via either an MOU or um, some changes to the municipal code, just to make that clear. Um, so there's a lot of cleanup on both sides of the house. Let's just put it that way. Um, I have another question on the contracts. You said that uh, in terms of contracting, the board um, can enter into their own contracts. And it seems like in the existing practice, it's a city which signs the contracts. So is that something that, or is it in the name of the city? So no, it's in the name of the board. Yeah, and generally, the CEO signs the it. The board. So when we have contract with vendors, is is for the boards. It's not for the city. It's on the city. Okay. Yeah, it's and that's required by the statute. I mean, the municipal code. Okay. There's. Thank you. Any other questions? Thank you for putting uh, it together. Yeah. yeah. Ms. Davis. I just have one comment. I think, um, given that the the other jurisdictions from the from the audit keep the administrative functions, um, have the policies the same as their um, plan sponsor or stricter. I would just question and, and hope that the board would consider the cost versus the benefits of mm -hmm. going through all of the policies with a fine tooth comb as has been discussed um, and, and determining whether or not they need to be different. And also the time that it would take versus having the city employees who work at ORS follow city policies and, and get trained on those so that everything can be aligned much quicker and with much less need for expensive consultants. No, no, and I agree with that 100%. And I think the, that's part of what the audit committee needs to do is come through a work plan. So just identify like, hey, look, these are the really big ticket items that really fall within our jurisdiction that we really need to focus on rather than you know going through, for example, city IT. City IT is 
top notch. There's no reason why we would deviate from that. And so what we would rather do is, you know, rely more heavily on the city IT and I'd probably adopt that more formally um, to the extent we need to. However, issues with like contract procurement or uh, something, for example, here, here's an example where I think the boards could rightfully focus their attention on is like, you know, pension administration system contracts and how, how do we treat that in the procurement process versus how the city does theirs? Because that's something so important to the administration. Our, our core fiduciary duty under the Constitution relates to pension administration. So that's something, for example, we would prioritize um, because otherwise, you're right, we can rely on a lot of the city processes. But we need to figure out as a board what, what are the core things that we need policies on for ourselves. So I agree with you. I have one question, and it's not procurement. One of the things I've heard is travel's really hard and that we need to trap we need better travel policies that that more conducive to what needs to happen for um, the ORS group and and the trustees and so on. So is would you consider that something that we would also perhaps include in the scope to well, make to make the process easier? Well, you know, that's a judgment call for the board. I think that travel could be, it depends on what travel is, right? Like, yeah. if, it's, if it's travel for, um, uh, you know, attendance at an educational conference, sure. If it's travel for, um, you know, investment-related diligence meeting, sure. Um, if it's travel for something unrelated, like a different reason, like, I don't know, I can't think of one right now, but... We, we could we can consider adopting the city's policies or making slight deviations from that policy rather than creating our new policy. We could just look at that policy and maybe make a few exceptions for um, attendance at conferences that are related to the functions of the plan. Well, and I do want to say one thing on that. Um, you know, the uh, city council, the city clerk who, who administers, um, you know, all of this for the city council and for the mayor <clears throat> have a different set of guidelines that they utilize than for city employees uh, within the departments. And so it is possible. I think there's precedent that goes on. Um, but it is the finance department at this point that does process this. And I can tell you that the city itself finds the travel quite complicated and cumbersome, uh, but it's it's really committed to it. So I don't know. Um, Council Member Davis might have more input. I, I think uh, I think um, the CMO is maybe looking to streamline or look at that process, but um, it, it's not easy. Yeah, I just just two comments uh, on that one. Julie, you're absolutely right. I think that's the right word, streamline. I think the city feels that way, and so do we. So we, we're not going to reinvent the wheel, but certainly we want to see if we can streamline it. Maintaining you know controls and transparency, which is critical to the business that we do. And second, I just wanted to sort of touch on Council Member Davis' comments. Uh, and you know, at the meeting on the 24th, if um actually had to speak on something, I will say this, and I have said this before at the board meetings. The reality is that 90% of the policies and procedures that we follow, we are okay with from the city. So 
I know there are all these issues and we are raising all these items and we're talking about all the things that we have to consider, which rightfully so, we should do that. But I, I, and I made this point to the city auditor when he drafted his report. Um, it's not as if our office is sort of an, an island and we're doing things completely different than the city. In fact, for the most part, everything we do, we follow city process and it works out perfectly. There are some issues that we have to take a look at, and we will certainly do that and uh, get back to the boards and, and so we can decide how to proceed. Thank you. Yeah, and, and so once, so like I mentioned before, it's a two-step process, really, a three-step process. One is the audit committee is gonna come up with a work plan, uh, hopefully, to help us streamline this. And then once that um, those gaps are identified or areas where we do need to uh, update or exercise our independence, I'll go to the governance committee to look at and have a set priority and then I'll come to the board. So that's my recommendation. I, so, um, you know, this is, again, is just a discussion item. Um, once the audit committee has fully s worked through some of these issues, then my next suggestion would be to form a joint governance committee or have a joint governance committee meeting to, to start working on those policies. So I have two questions. One is, uh, first of all, thank you for this uh, extensive memo and comparing it with the city auditor's memo covering similar ground, what areas of divergence do you see between the memos? I don't see any. Okay. And at this moment, uh, we are considering evaluating different procedures for things like procurement and travel and else at the ORS, but at this moment, what procedures do you feel or do you recommend ORS staff should be following? Well, it's hard for me to say because I don't mm -hmm. know every single policy they're okay. following it currently at this moment. The only policies I am aware of are the ones that have been addressed in the um, audit memos. Um, with that being all said, I, I refer that back to Roberto. He's, he mentioned 90% of them are being followed by the city policies currently. Mm -hmm. I would recommend that ORS continue doing that. Um, I, I can't really speak to that. Okay. Any other questions from trustees? Any other questions from the public? So hearing none, thank you, and we'll move on to the next agenda item, which is 5F, discussion action on an external auditor, uh, MGO, uh, and uh, who will be presenting on this item? Is that- Do you want me to give a little background on it? Uh, yes, is Mr. Polani still with us? I don't, I don't think that he is. No, okay, uh, then I'll turn to the IC chair to address it. Sure, um, yeah, we recently discovered that fees to some investment managers were paid out of our administrative accounts payable process rather than netted against income from our investments. Uh, so in essence, they have not been picked up by our custodian bank as investment fees. So in order to reconcile our accounts payable process and the investment records, we are recommending and asking our independent um, external auditor, MGO, whom we already work with, uh, to evaluate and reconcile our records, uh, understand why the uh, breakdown in process took place and to fix it going forward. So we're asking for a total contract amount of $25,000 to be split with police and fire. Okay, any questions on this issue? Uh, so I move that we approve this expenditure. Is there a second? I have a nope. second. We have a second from Trustee Abbott. 
Any further trustee discussion? Any public comment? Hearing none, uh, we vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. I vote aye, it passes. Uh, next agenda item, 5G, which is uh, an amendment to an existing contract with Cortex uh, for a total amount of $50,000, I believe to address some of the questions we just discussed with respect to ORS systems and procedures. Um, Roberto, that, that, are you presenting on that? That is correct, but you're doing so well. I was just gonna make a motion. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. So you're absolutely correct. Um, Cortex uh, agreement actually is on a calendar year basis. Uh, the amount that we usually ask your board to approve is in the twenty-five dollars to $30,000 range. The reason for the 50000 is because you're absolutely right. As part of um, the comments that you heard from uh, general counsel and the issues not only on the procurement uh, and contracts issue, but also on other uh, um, areas of the office, we will ask uh, Cortex <laughs> assistant to work with us going forward. And so we're asking you to approve and not to exceed amount of 50,000 uh, for federated, there's another $50,000 for police and fire uh, to be approved uh, for the first amendment that would take place, kick off on January 1st, 2024 to December 20, 31st, 2024. And again, this item is actually related to uh, a joint committee item later down in your agenda having to do with engaging Cortex where they put together an actual plan, but that one is specifically related to procurement, but that's the kind of work that they're gonna be doing next year in addition to the regular services they provide. That's why we're asking an increase to amount to 50,000 for the calendar year 2024. Happy to answer any questions. Roberta, does the is the fifty thousand additional not to exceed to what they're already contracted? No, this for? is fifty thousand for for the calendar year twenty twenty four. Currently, their agreement expires December thirty one of twenty three. Correct. Okay, so for the additional year, it would carry an additional up to fifty. Correct. Yes. Got Thank it. you for the clarification, Council. I'll make a motion to approve. Okay, we have a motion to approve. Is there a second? Second. We have a second from Trustee Abbott, a motion by Trustee Chandra. Any discussion by trustees? Any public comments? Uh, Vice Chair Jennings, how do you vote? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. I vote aye, it passes. Okay, I believe we've covered uh, agenda item five. Now we have the committee uh, reports, uh, investment committee. Uh, looks like we have not met since the 29th, uh, Mr. Chandra. Yeah, well, coming out of the 29th, meet, uh, August 29th meeting, uh, we provided an update at the mm -hmm. September meeting. Uh, maybe one thing to note, the next meeting is not on the 19th. It's been changed to, I believe, the 13th. Um, and that will be in advance of the December board meeting, so we'll be able to provide a report out. Okay, great. Uh, Governance Committee, Mr. Linder, it looks like you haven't met since February. Anything That's to report? That's true, We're, we are seeking. But there's a lot of work coming your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they keep piling on, but okay. uh, I think we're supposed to have a joint governance committee is what we haven't had yet. I see. So, 
So okay. we are working with the staff to find a date. Got it. Hope you've enjoyed the hiatus. <laughs> I have. I've been okay. busy with the other committee. Okay. So currently there is no joint governance committee, right? Is there a joint governance committee? Thing? Well, no, no joint. There's one for federated and one for police and fire, but they're going to meet jointly. So uh, in the future, we are expecting uh, an agenda item for the meetings, right? For because there's no, there are no yet, not yet any scheduled meetings mm. for Correct. the joint yes. Okay. And that brings us to the audit committee, uh, Trustee Avasti. Yeah, I think we have heard a lot about the audit committee <laughs> so far. Uh, our last meeting was uh, last month, and uh, we discussed about the management response on the findings of the procurement report. Um, to summarize, there were four findings, and um, I, I let Roberto talk about it when, when that item comes up. Um, I'll just summarize. Um, they, we figured out that there is lack of policies and procedures. Um, uh, there's confusion among the staff which policy needs to be um, followed. It's a city policy or ORS policy, and the current policies are outdated. So to address the issue, um, we uh, we decided to hire Cortex uh, to come up uh, with a plan or, and um, give us recommendation on the procurement and contract uh, policy. Um, this will uh, help us in strengthening the internal controls. The second issue uh, that we faced uh, that was actually brought up by the, uh, the procurement audit report is a contract monitoring piece. Uh, so management is working on uh, monitoring, contract monitoring policy. Um, um, the three findings, on the three findings management has accepted uh, and, and mm -hmm. there are steps to be taken. Uh, there's another finding on the delays in the procurement of laptops um, and it's, uh, it's, it's being partially agreed. I think Moroboto will talk more about it. I, we are just again going to discuss this particular finding later in the audit committee meeting. And then in the uh, last audit committee meeting, we also had, as Roberto said, we had city auditor um, telling us about the scope of the, uh, of the different phases of the audit, uh, and we now mm -hmm. see the interim audit report. Okay. So we need to receive and file the audit committee uh, minutes, and under uh, 63C, it's discuss discussion and action on the management's response. Um, I'm not sure what action is being asked here. Is it simply receiving files? No, so, so um, go ahead. So um, management has accepted. They have provided mm -hmm. the response on, um, on the findings. Uh, that's mm -hmm. what this item is about. Mm -hmm. Now we are again going to discuss two findings later in the audit committee meeting. So if there's any change, this item will again come back to the board. Roberto, would you like to add? No, I, I don't have any to, uh, to add. You are completely right. I would recommend the board to accept the management response. And I think as you chair for the audit committee indicated, this item will be addressed again at the audit, uh, joint audit committee. And if there are any changes, we'll come back to your board with the changes. But as, uh, as, as of they are right now, which doesn't include the changes that we requested from last time uh, on the uh, on the laptops, Barbara? Yes, I believe it does, yeah. Yeah, so I, am rec I think the the, the committee took action to accept it and it's recommending to your board to approve the management response. I see. So is that? That's the action that we are pursuing. Okay. All right, then. Uh, we'll Just one more thing I would like to okay. recommend to change the name of the <laughs> attachment, uh, <laughs> the JAC response. It's a management response. It's not the audit committee's response. Uh -huh. 
Fernando, thank you. Okay, so I'll entertain a motion then to accept the management response. Uh, so moved. I, I so, second. So we have a motion by Trustee Chandra, second by Vice Chair Jennings. Any further discussion from trustees? Any public comment? Uh, Vice Chair Jennings, how do you vote? Aye. Uh, Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. I vote aye. It is accepted. Um, we receive and file the memorandum from, from the city auditor and uh, discussion action to engage uh, Cortex. Uh, did we not just do that? Yeah. On the main so, agenda. Okay. So actually you approve the amendment to the contract ah. which in essence indicates that you are approving this request but the committee actually adopted the or approved the recommendation and it's recommending to your board that you actually approve hiring Cortex specifically for that uh, review of the RS policies and procurement and contract issues. And then at the meeting this afternoon, Cortex, if you do approve that, we'll be making a presentation on their plan of work oh, to complete that. that okay. I make a motion that we approve Cortex okay. for, that, <laughs> for that very purpose. Okay, and was that a second from Trustee yeah. Abbott? <laughs> All right, so that's a recommend a proposal from uh, Trustee Chandra, second Trustee Abbott. Any discussion? Any public comments? Uh, Vice Chair Jennings, how do you vote? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Faulkner? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. I vote aye. Passes. 6-4, um, the Disability Committee. Yes, we met on October 2nd. We had two cases. Um, much to the staff's chagrin, we continued both. Um, one case, um, there was a new situation that we wanted the physician to evaluate whether it <coughs> was how critical it was. Mm -hmm. The second one, the person asked for some additional time to prepare. We gave them an additional 30 days. Okay. So they will be coming back. Um, so the we have a meeting set coming up next month. We will be meeting monthly. It's mm -hmm. a really good committee. And the action we need is just to receive and file. That's mm -hmm. hardly an action. Okay. Okay. Uh, could I have a question on this regarding our second one where we continued? Um, is there the policies and procedures for the disability cases and the case process? Does that also fall under the ideas that we're talking about with policies and procedures? across mm -hmm. ORS? No, we have a disability committee charter, and so those are, for the committee itself and how it proceeds is generally specified in the charter. Okay, thank you. Okay, so we received five question. minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, thank you. Uh, six five Joint Personnel Committee uh, has not met since May 11th. No, it has not met, mm -hmm. and I, I think it makes sense to reach out to Eshwar to see if we can meet sooner rather than later. Well, we can do that, okay. He has been at reaching out but whenever dates he's suggesting we had not been able to really have a, a quota okay. of, of the trustees for meetings so uh, we, we will check within that in right. okay a couple of times there were weeks that there were board meetings mm -hmm. for your board so those weeks i leave them out because it's tough enough just to come to your board meeting mm -hmm. but then once we have way back we have surveyed the trustees and th there's no one there's n ever an ability to have both both committees join for quorum, so we have not been able to okay. study anything. But Let's we'll just continue working. Give it a go again. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, we, need, we need to get get on that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. 
education and training, you have the uh, usual Cortex report, the Calipers program calendar, and the Sackers fall conference in uh, Rancho Mirage. Uh, Karen, may I ask, uh, is anyone planning on going to the Sackers conference? I was undecided, perhaps at best. Why is there something happening there? I no, know about? no, just just curious. Okay, we'll uh, another actuary party that. Yeah, proposed agenda items. Any? Uh, I suggest uh, that we agendize for the next uh, meeting uh, consideration of an ad hoc committee on succession planning for uh, management. Any other proposed? Was that was that a second? Yes. That okay. was a second. Okay, I'm not sure if we needed a second, but I appreciate no. it. Support of all. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, any other proposed agenda items? So, hearing none, we are in adjournment. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, Spencer might have pulled.